I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. You ready, Cordelia? I am ready, but for what? Uh, <laughs> I, love how I, tor- I love how I torture you with that kind of question. Like, are you ready? Like... I, uh, I'm yeah. ready. I'm here. No. I don't know. What are you ready for? Are you ready for a question? Uh, sure. Okay. What is one of your strengths? And I don't mean like, are you better at pull-ups versus push-ups? I mean, what is one of your strengths in your personality? Oh man, uh, I feel like I am a pretty empathetic person, and like it's easy for me to feel what somebody else is feeling, and then to respond to those emotions in a sensitive way i think um and that's probably why i love acting and music as much as i do hmm. um do you think that that like that, that that empathy is there a correlating weakness that it produced like sort of it's like yin to yang mm. yeah i definitely think so i think it's it's easy for me to get overly involved in people's feelings and to kind of lose my own sense of stability if that makes sense Like I sometimes have a hard time differentiating between what are my emotions and what are other people's emotions because it's so fluid between the two. So that can, that can be kind of a slippery slope and lead to some struggles. But what about you? Like what, what do you feel like are your, what's your, what's your strength? Um, I am, I'm really good at being present. Like I feel like that if I am with somebody, you're going to have my complete attention. Like, I, I just, it's like, that's how I work. I, I feel that way about my work, too. Um, like, and even, you know, a lot of times, like, when people do big routes in the mountains, they're always kind of like, what time is it? How quickly are we moving? And da, da, da. and I like moving quick. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I think I was fairly fast at things. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't feel that. Like, I always kind of felt like, this is awesome. This is exactly where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could kind of look around and be like, wow, you know, if something was going so I could look around and just be like, this is so cool. Yeah. So I, I think I'm good at being present. Hmm. And do you feel like that has a flip side, like a, like a shadow side? There's nothing, there's no weakness in me, Cordelia. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I do think that the bad part of that is that like, or like one of the sort of the weaknesses that produces I'm, is I'm kind of like, I'm bad at staying in touch with people. I think that, um, you know, like my ability to kind of be present, to be working towards goals, to, to do all that, it means that I have a tough time kind of stepping out of myself sometimes or stepping outward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I want to say that I try really hard to see my friends that, that don't live in Seattle, but if I had to be honest about it, I'm just not good at it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're, they're great because they, they get me, like they understand, they cut me slack um, because they know when, when they do see me that, or if they get me on the phone even, I am like totally there and I am down for like a big conversation and it's not like I'm going to cut them short or anything mm-hmm. like that. 
Um, and I and I am really jealous of people that are super good at keeping in touch with their with their friends that aren't close to them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, because I mean, for me, those people like they help build me, particularly some of those friends that I shared the earlier years of climbing with. Mm-hmm. And and I think about the memories all the time, and I love making new memories with them. But um, yeah, not being good at staying in touch is certainly an obstacle mm-hmm. <laughs> for making new memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I've gotten a little bit better at it since this lockdown began, but truthfully, uh, there was only one direction to go, and that was up. Um, so, yeah, uh, I've been able to sort of slip out of my laser beam approach to to kind of, like, think about other people and, and whatnot. So, well, yeah. I'm glad to hear that, and maybe today's story will also provide you some inspiration. How so? Well, it's a very fun story of two climbing partners and friends who, despite being separated from one another, have figured out how to still have great climbing adventures together. And while we had this one planned for a while, it seems particularly fitting for this moment. Cool. Should we dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I'm Fitz Cahal. I'm Cordelia Zars. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Mike is, uh, yeah, he's the most optimistic person I know, for better or worse. He's incredibly driven and willing to accept risk. The core tenet of his personality is his optimism. No matter the situation, he's always like, oh, maybe we can go another pitch or oh, one more pitch. Like, we haven't been hit by lightning. Yeah, there's lightning around it. But like, I mean, it's been like 10 minutes and we still haven't been hit. <laughs> this is Scott Gwynn. I got to know Scott first living out of his van and kind of dirtbagging. I was like, oh, that's that Scott who lives out of a van, kind of dirtbags. Then it turns out he's like applying to law school. I was like, wait, Scott's applying to law school? Like from his van? Like, is he really? It's like, yeah. And this is Mike Flanagan. We were hanging out outside of Red Rocks and you were, what were you reading? It was something on, it was the it was the book on like the history of the Supreme Court or something like that. And you're like, you. Yeah, it's a great I book. I think it's called The Nine. It's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mike and Scott met a few years ago in San Diego. Mike was living in his brother's house under the stairs, and Scott had been climbing full-time out of his van. Scott forgot his pillow in San Diego, and that brought our lives together. Scott knew Mike's brother through work and had stopped in San Diego before traveling up to Joshua Tree in the early winter of 2017. Missing the warmer weather and his pillow, Scott returned to San Diego after a few weeks. Soon after meeting, Mike asked Scott if he wanted to climb Monday morning before work. Scott was in. The parting words the night before on Sunday night, I was like, Scott, do you know how to skateboard? I said no, because I didn't know how to skateboard. And I just couldn't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Because Mike had to get to work by nine, he planned to tap the efficiency of wheels for the approach, chuck the skateboards into the brush while they climbed, and cruise back to the cars once they'd finished. The next morning, they set out before dawn. So then we got there and like put down the skateboards and within seconds, it was like pretty clear you actually didn't know how to skateboard. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. I, I think I'd been on a skateboard like once or twice before. <laughs> it was fully shocking. I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. The path sloped gradually down. To help Scott from losing control, Mike held his hand the whole way.
At the end of the paved path, the approach to Mission Gorge climbing area cuts straight up, no switchbacks. There's a lot of loose rocks and dirt. Scott charged full steam ahead. Mike, determined not to fall behind, stayed right on his heels, though it cost him some sweat. But we get to the top and Scott turns around, also pretty sweaty, and is like, oh, normally when I first meet someone new, I kind of like to crush him into the ground on the first approach. <laughs> Mike didn't make it to work on time. In the coming weeks, Scott's van remained parked outside the San Diego house as he and Mike continued to climb together, laugh until they couldn't breathe, and lay the foundation for years of, Mike's favorite word, shenanigans. Mike and Scott began dodging out of town during the work week and on weekends to climb locally. Their abilities matched closely, as did their tolerance of risk and dedication to researching routes before they roped up. The level of enjoyable pushing ourselves and each other and having fun and interspersed hysterical laughter and learning and taking on new things is pretty good. Given that their personalities are somewhat competitive, Mike and Scott try to be open about when they might be egging each other on. Like we've had explicit conversations about trying to remove competitiveness for when we're doing things that are kind of big and risky because like, hey, we want to be careful that we don't need to get lost in the excitement of that and push ourselves like we really don't want to drown out any warning voices because we both have pretty small warning voices. So if we're talking up, it's pretty easy to drown them out. Because for all their shenanigans, it hasn't always been fun and games. About a year into their climbing partnership, Mike and Scott road-tripped to Tuck Heats, an old-school spot for multi-pitch crag climbing in Southern California. They chalked up and started up the rock, taking turns belaying. Trying this move over and over and over, we couldn't get it, kept falling, kept falling. Finally, Mike gets it, and then I go up to follow it, and I'm thinking, oh, great, like, I'm on top rope now, it's going to be chill but I still can't pull the move. It's like this roof move that you have to pull over, quite tricky. And so I fall, which shouldn't be a big deal, but the rope is running right over a sharp edge now, where it wasn't before because we weren't over that edge. The sharp edge started to cut into the rope as Scott dangled hundreds of feet above the ground. He yelled up to Mike to lower him down to the closest ledge and then retied the rope above the fray. Back on belay, he tried the move again. Again, he fell. I'm like right here watching the rock cut through the sheath and then it starts cutting through the core and it's like, I'm just sitting there dangling, watching the rope being cut right in front of my eyes. By the time Scott and Mike were back together at the belay, nervous adrenaline pumped through Scott as the gravity of the situation sunk in. And then I fully broke down. I was fully in tears and like, yeah, it was a lot on. It was the first time Mike and Scott had been in a scary situation together. Like, you don't know how you're going to respond in a situation like that, but you also don't know how your partner is going to respond. And so for me to be able to, like, fully break down and have a partner there that then, like, was not only supportive and, like, helped me through the situation as it was happening, like, our communication was really good. We were talking through everything that needed to happen because it happened pretty slowly. But then, like, that night we just, like, went back to the campsite, talked over everything and I think that's where the learning really happens is like you review, okay, what can we do differently? What should we have done differently? Did we do something wrong? Because sometimes you, you didn't do anything wrong. 
in this situation, I think we did. When that first score shot happened, we should have known, like we should have done something different. I think because we've got these layers of friendship, it makes it easy and open. And because we've been there before, and we both know that we can go to that point of questioning what we did and how we can do it better and really have pretty open and frank learning conversations, which is not always the case with everyone. I think that kind of like made me feel then comfortable going out again to put myself in potentially dangerous situation with someone that now I know how we're going to work when something like this comes up and I feel fully safe with him. And also, I don't know, when you like break down in front of like a, a friend of yours, like fully, then you have like, okay, I have nothing more to hide now. So it's like, not that like you're hiding it beforehand, but like emotionally, like we've been to both ends of the spectrum with one another. In the summer of 2018, Mike moved to Boulder to start grad school for computer science at CU. Scott got into several law programs, but decided he wasn't ready to give up mountains just yet. He continued to travel across the country in his van, climbing along the way, and eventually landing back in San Diego. Mike and Scott's outings became less frequent, and the constant flow of communication they shared on the rocks ebbed to phone calls, texts, and emails. Still, they planned adventures whenever Mike had a school holiday. They climbed together in Indian Creek, Red Rocks, Yosemite, Tuolumne, Scott often visited Mike in Boulder for long weekends, and they'd climb in the Flatirons and El Dorado Canyon. Each time Scott visited, he seemed to leave something behind. Oh, I've got your water bottle. Do you want me to send it to you? And he's like, no, no, it's fine. Just hold on to it. And then like, a couple weeks later, he's like, oh, I've got like one of your quick draws. And I was like, oh, do you want me to send it to you? He's like, no. And then I think you must have come to visit or something. And I ended up with like a bunch of your clothes. It was like your basketball shorts, a shirt. Mike had a small room. He stuffed them in a package and scribbled out Scott's address. I don't know if there was a thought that triggered it, but somehow I was like, oh, I should send along a written challenge to Scott. As long as I'm sending this box, I should also include like a handwritten challenge. The first challenge that came up was the Scott Santee challenge. Rules. Complete the listed circuit of Boulder problems in order within one hour car to car. The whole car to car mission has to be caught in a single continuous GoPro capture. Every problem has to be completed in a clean manner. Complete the mission by July 1st, 2019, and you win. Standard six-pack bet rules apply. Acceptance of this six-pack bet may only be received via physical mail, included as a postcard for your accepting convenience. He knows when he writes this that I'm going to accept it. Like, no matter what he writes on here, like, when I first read it over, I was like, oh, this, this shouldn't be hard at all. I remember, like, sending him a response that was potentially quite arrogant. Uh, like, oh, like, I'll have it done by the end of the week or something. He gave me, like, six months or something to do it. Amphitheater boulder. Up climb the standard down climb on the east side of the boulder. Two. That first week, boulder. Scott went out climb to Santee boulders and started mapping out the problems. Moby Dick highball. Drink a beer on top of Moby Dick. Number 12, get down safe. And then life kind of took over and I sort of forgot about it until I think I was out in Colorado for some reason, maybe the month before the deadline. And we're talking about it. And then I realized, wow, I go back and I have like six days or something to, to do this and like fully unprepared. So I got back and then every day from then until what was it, July 1st, I would go out to Santee after work. Scott made a map, honed his timing. He brought friends out to spot him and sent Mike progress reports as he practiced moves and transitions. Everything clipped along smoothly, except for one problem, the jump start, significantly more difficult than the rest listed in the challenge. Progress reports quickly also turned into like morale reports. I'm <laughs> like, oh man, like, dude, that problem's really hard. I was out there like in the morning before work and then like again after work and be like, oh, great sunrise, but man, can't do that. One of those days I went out there 
I tried only this problem for like two hours and got really close, but still didn't get it. And I got really frustrated and I almost never get upset or frustrated when I'm rock climbing, but I got like really upset. And then I was sitting on like my pad by myself, just like, why am I so upset? This is ridiculous. This is silly challenge that Mike sent me like months ago. Like, it's not why I'm out here. I drove back like speeding home. Like, uh, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I need to make a change. Like, uh, what I'll do is I'll write to Mike and try to get him to amend the challenge to remove this problem and replace it with something else. Like it's a long shot, but if I put enough ridiculous effort into it, I think Mike might accept it. Scott had three days before the deadline. He knew calling to explain would be a total cop out and that the proposed amendment would have to be delivered via physical mail. If he sent it from California, it would never make it in time. So Scott got in touch with Mike's roommate and had her print out Scott's letter, forge his signature, seal it in an envelope, and tape it to Mike's door. And so I come home from school one day, and there is this letter taped to the door of my room. And I open it up, and inside is this crazy letter amendment, and it's signed by Scott. It's been notarized. It's a proposed amendment. Proposed amendment, yeah. <clears throat> Official proposal to amend contract. Date, June 27th, 2019. To Michael Flanagan, original author and final arbiter. From Scott Gwynn, recipient of proposed challenge and party contractually bound by its contents. Regarding Santee Challenge, proposed amendment to strike item four from the contract or replace it as seen fit by the final arbiter and original author. Remember how Scott applied to law school from his van? Reasons to strike or replace item four. One, item four is out of character with the rest of the items in the contract. It is the only item that includes a climb rated over V2. Locals have listed the climb as hard as V6. Given the nature of the challenge, a timed endurance feat, it seems out of place and even unbecoming of the very nature of the challenge. (laughs) Two, item four presents cruel and unusual dangers to the climber. These include, but are not limited to, subsection I, infection due to skin removal caused by successful completion and unsuccessful attempts of item four. The list goes on. Citing factors such as unusually dry conditions, low underwear count, and recent back injury due to overenthusiastic dancing as further evidence for the unattainability of problem four. I humbly appeal to your reason as a just and honorable man. Please consider what I have told you. I trust that your decision will be both fair and fitting of a warrior. With regards, Scott Lionhearted Gwynn. Fake notarized by Adam C. (laughs) Hoke, County of Teton, State of Wyoming. Don't read his number. Mike heeded Scott's plea and amended the challenge. Scott could sub in the dead animal traverse on a different boulder instead of completing problem four. On July 1st, Scott set up his equipment, crash pads, a map, and a mountain bike, and recruited his friend Tom to help him spot as he climbed. So I was planning to mountain bike out to save time, save like 30 seconds or something. There's like one little ditch you have to go over, and I set up a piece of plywood there so it's easier to ride over in the mountain bike. So I leave the car and I'm running up towards the boulders. I step right in the middle of the piece of plywood and just snaps it right in half, fall right on my face. Oh, no. Despite the plywood incident, the first set of problems went off without a hitch. Scott climbed steadily as Tom shouted up encouragement, and he knocked off boulders one by one. He took his first fall, besides through the plywood, on the dead animal traverse, the amended problem, and decided to circle back to it at the very end. And then at one point I have to drink a beer on top of this highball, and so... I go up there, I climb it, and I turn around, my friend's gonna throw me the beer, he throws the beer and like, 
not nearly like far enough. <laughs> beer just lands on the ground and just splatters everywhere. So, fortunately, I had stashed a beer up there earlier in case it happened. After he'd finished the nine other problems, Scott came back to the dead animal traverse. It's a big, ovular boulder with a horizontal crack down the middle. There was a picture on Mountain Project of a guy's head kind of unexplainably stuffed into a crack in the rock. It was like really awkward looking and his head was all hunched over and he was like bending his neck and like really stuffed into the rock. I was like, oh, that seems just right for Scott. It's <laughs> like, so don't know why that's happening. That should be good. If Mike was going to amend the challenge, at least Scott was going to suffer. As he traversed the rock, Scott stuffed his head into the crack, hunched his back, and awkwardly crawled his way across the slab. And somehow... I was able to do it at the very end, having never done it before. Tom was super excited, the guy that was with me. I was super excited. I was just like screaming with joy because I really thought it was all over for all week, really. I thought I might lose the six pack bet. Yes! The next challenge started a little less officially. After Scott and some friends took a three-day backpacking trip through Colorado's Lost Creek Wilderness in the summer of 2019, Mike declared he could do that same loop in just 16 hours. Scott, knowing the terrain, gave him 27 and bet him a six-pack he couldn't do it. This is going to be like, oh, what a nice excuse to go for a hike in like a day, like a short day. Scott laid down a few rules. No running. And Mike had to bring enough gear to sleep in the woods overnight. He never looked at a map. <laughs> Has like a, a photo of like the washed out map at the trailhead and that's it. It's a loop. I did it clockwise. So he was supposed to do it counterclockwise. He got those mixed up. So he kept like telling people, oh yeah, I'm doing this clockwise loop. And then at one point they're like, we're doing the clockwise route. You're going the other way. And Oh yeah, I guess I am going counterclockwise. But for a while I was like convinced he was going clockwise. Like arguing with them, like who was going clockwise. So Mike sends me this 45 minute video of him seemingly wandering aimlessly, but with a very clear purpose <laughs> through like the mountains of Colorado, fully unprepared with not enough water. I'm trying to like beat this arbitrary time limit. He gets lost multiple times. He nearly like breaks his back climbing this broken tree with like his pack on, like gets himself into a really bad situation on camera, filming himself. Like he sets the camera down <laughs> while he goes and does this. <laughs> Mike thought it would be funny to take a video of himself doing the yoga tree pose on top of a nine-foot-tall stump, but he neglected to take his pack off before he climbed, and the stump wobbled. A lot. He managed a brief, shaky pose and narrowly made it off without falling. Have to say, having watched the video, not super graceful. Mike hiked into the night, determined to make up for lost time on the tree. That's full torch mode. It's nice that I have this sack of newts and dried fruits uh, for a little pick-me-up. After a few hours of night hiking, he found a place to bivy. Good morning. So, uh, I thought the crux was going to be getting lost, but I just had a wonderful sleep in. Day two delivered some gnarly ascents above treeline and a scarcity of running water. Once he made it back down below treeline, he filled his bottles and drank from a stream and pounded out the last miles to his car. Woo! 
Oh, home sweet Sienna home. Uh, the time is 5.10. So that puts me at 26 and a half hours. Uh, it was a real, a real vision quest. Uh, the good time of my life. Thank you, Scott, for sending me on this adventure. Uh, Scott, I believe I won the six-pack bet by completing this in under 28 hours. Like all great bets and challenges, it's not really about the prize. So the fact that you got me out here. Thanks, homie. What a good time. After the break, Scott ups the ante. Dear Michael, it is with great trepidation that I present you with the following challenge. It has been designed to test the tenacity of your tendons as well as the metal of your mind. Stay with us. Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. Support comes from Kuat Racks, the Piston SR is a single rail bike rack that easily mounts on most roof racks, overlanding utility racks, and truck bed rack systems. The dual ratcheting piston arm grabs your tires and makes no contact with the bike frame. So that's better for your bike, right? Plus the rack has an all metal construction, genuine Kashima coat, and integrated cable locks. That translates to being super burly. Kuat has taken their Piston Pro X and elevated it. Find more details at kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this rack. This episode of the Dirtbag Diaries is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, we all have different stressors in our lives, and figuring out how to work and grow through them is part of being human. For me, being outside, moving my body, it's always been a critical part of my mental health, and maybe for you too, but there's also been times where no amount of fresh air or exertion would have gotten me through what was weighing me down. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and grow. Talking with a therapist can help you learn how to set boundaries, develop positive coping skills, or manage a difficult life transition. Here's how it works. Go to the website, answer a few questions, and BetterHelp will match you with a licensed therapist. The appointments are all online, so it's convenient to schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com backslash diaries to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash diaries. Do not go gently into this challenge, as greater men than you have failed in pursuit of glory. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. 
11 Problems on Boulder's Flagstaff Mountain, One Hour, Car to Car. According to Scott, who drafted this challenge using Mountain Project in the summer of 2019, most of the problems weren't too difficult. But they're quite dangerous. So in like bouldering, if it's a dangerous boulder, it gets either an R rating, a fall would mean you get seriously injured, and then an X is like a fall is like you might die or, or serious injury. So most of them are X or R rated. And so when I wrote it up, I had some reservations about sending it because like, I know he's going to accept as well. So like, what if I'm responsible for the end of Mike? But I was willing to accept that. <laughs> for the riskier climbs, Scott allowed and suggested use of ropes. Mike had to capture the entire challenge on a GoPro and get down safe. Deadline, January 9th, 2020. And the prize, a six pack of Mike's choosing and eternal glory. Do you have what it takes? If so, reply by physical mail using the enclosed envelope. Godspeed, my friend. Most people might feel intimidated to receive a challenge of this caliber. But Mike, he was giddy. It's really cool that these challenges kind of give us an excuse to go spend a bunch of time outside or direct our play and activities in a way that just like I wouldn't normally. Normally, I'd just like go do whatever's convenient. Like, oh, it's a sunny day at this crag. Let's go over there. Like, oh, not really into bouldering. So probably go do something else that's fun but now every chance that he got mike headed to flagstaff i got some photos from a mutual friend of ours of they're out the boulder is covered in snow they're wearing like mittens and like boots and just like what are you really accomplishing out there (laughs) as the deadline approached mike hustled to prepare all his equipment scout the routes and recruit a small group of friends to help him through the hour some of mike's buddies weren't thrilled about the sketchier problems and worried mike might be pushing his luck his life even, all to win a silly bet. One of his friends showed him a gory video of a guy falling off a tall boulder and said, look, this could happen to you. Mike took it to heart and decided he would use a rope for Sailor's Delight, a problem that was tall and chossy. For the problems he'd be doing without a rope, he practiced incessantly. There's this ongoing conversation, both in our heads, but then between each other and between People who either come along for the day and climb it and think about it. It's like, oh, would you do that without a rope? What feels safe? What doesn't? And kind of building up that understanding of the situation. And to be able to do that, I think you do kind of need to focus life around some of these arbitrary events. And best because like, why would you bother to build up the memory and knowledge and skills to be able to do something that could be risky in a safe way? But yeah, by the time you get to the end of that, then it can be a little bit harder to have the conversation if someone hasn't been along, for example, on like many of those runs. And then it's like, oh, you take off the rope and you're like, cool, I'm going to climb this. They just see you out there like doing something really dangerous when in reality you've practiced for this. You know exactly how dangerous it is and you feel that you can do it. So then they only see a snapshot of the end. So it can lead to some questions and, and, and a lot of those are good. If I didn't have this timeline on a piece of paper, this explicitly arbitrary date, would I be rushing to try to learn how to climb this at the rate that I am. And it's like, oh, in that case, I was like, no. And it's like, okay, so maybe good to dial it back or kind of swallow a little bit of pride and do things a little bit safer because acknowledging that like, hey, this is a competition and there are these like external timeline pressures and those can get people into risky situations. Mike and Scott may try to minimize risk in whatever ways they can, but one thing is clear. They're not giving up these challenges anytime soon. Ready, set, go. Go, go, go. January 8th, 2020. Right off the bat, he had two tall boulders. He pumped those out in style, 
leaping off the second onto a pad one of his friends had positioned at the base. Coming at you. Thanks, Brian. Then, shoes off, he sprinted towards the next set of boulders. For the upcoming problem, he had to send an intricately choreographed leap of faith move to grab the lip of the rock and hoist himself over. Oh, yeah! <laughs> After the leap of faith, Mike checked off a few more problems. Then he went for the high ball, roped up, narrowly stuck it, and moved on to a few boulders called Pratt's Mantle and Beer Barrel. On the top of Beer Barrel, his friend Serafina chucked up a beer. Oh, great throw! Woo! Mike scrambled down the backside of the boulder and headed over to the monkey traverse. He'd knocked out eight of the 11 problems on the list. He was cruising and a little ahead of time. But he'd never strung all these problems together before, and his forearms started burning. He hopped on the monkey traverse, a long stretch of holds across a big, gnarled boulder. He took deep breaths and breaks whenever he could to rest his arms. Ah, I love being here. Mike got off to a good start. But midway through the traverse, he lost his grip. Oh, shit. Oh, nice. Cool. After his first okay. fall, Mike rested for a minute and got back on the rock. Heating up in the sun, he stripped some layers, stuffed his beer in the chalk bag, and moved deliberately from hold to hold. He made it to the same spot, but fell off again. This time, he started to feel a little dismal. The reality is like, if you fell off the route twice because you're too tired, I'm not like... It's not looking good. <laughs> yeah. It's not looking good at all. But damned if Mike Flanagan would fall victim to pessimism. I've been insulted a lot of times by that core tenant of optimism and called things like dangerously optimistic, recklessly optimistic, delusionally optimistic. Yeah, that's my favorite uh, word. You know, optimism. Yeah, I think I quoted like toxic positivity the other day, which is like kind of shocking until you hear yourself called it. And it's like, oh man, am that's I really so like that? <laughs> Mike hopped back on the rock. His buddy Jonas pointed out a high route that snuck above the section he kept falling off. Cruise through the first section and go up on this route that kind of bypasses that hard section I'd fell on twice now. And sure enough, it was a lot easier. Things went smoothly until the last couple of moves. They're pretty high, pretty committing. And everything's just like trembling and shaking because it was just like all the muscle fatigue. And then go for the very last move, which is like a pretty easy hold and just pop off right beforehand. Mike didn't have time to try the monkey traverse again. He sprinted to the final problem. Tried that desperately as hard as I can. So this big two-hand dyno and I like gave it my best go that I could. Didn't catch it, but did have the closest one kind of like sprawled into the pads. And then with like a minute and a half left, took off sprinting to barefoot scramble this like tall rock. That's really fun. Just chill. Not sure how chill barefoot scrambling a giant rock is, but Mike made it to the top without any injuries more serious than a bloody toe and leapt back down for the final sprint to the car. Time, Jonas! A minute and a half over, he ripped off the GoPro and turned it to his face. Thanks, Scott. Didn't complete the challenge, but pretty epically good time. In the outdoors, we all have those friends. People who get us, who push us, who make us laugh so hard it hurts. Those friendships run deep and take hundreds of hours and hundreds of miles to build. For most of us, it's probably why we go outside, to grow with those people who show us what we're capable of and then push us to reach for more. 
It's a pretty special thing when someone knows you as well or better than you know yourself. But life happens. We spread out, get jobs in different parts of the country, start families. Keeping those relationships alive can feel like climbing up a fraying rope. For Mike and Scott, watching the rope break wasn't an option. It's a way of like sharing climbing adventures when we're not in the same state. We check in on the challenges and that's an excuse to like call and catch up. Yeah, tons of shared points. It's like that trade-off when multi-pitch climbing, which is something that Scott and I love to do together and really is like the foundation, like going and doing these big semi-committing and like, okay, we're leaving the ground and have many rope lengths and like quite a few hours between us and being done with this objective. You've got this fun trade-off where one person is leading and is on the sharp end is kind of in the intensity of it, but the other person is supporting and sharing. And then there's this wonderful dynamic where you trade. Once you finish a pitch, you get to rest at a boy and just bring your partner up and you're kind of on break and then you switch into the support role. And actually in kind of a bigger picture, this is a fun way to continue doing that where it's like when Scott's working on a challenge for a month or two or like really in the heat of it, the crux of it, the final six days, like, yeah, it's fun to hear about what's going on and offer any support and encouragement and kind of just this dynamic keeps going. These challenges also get them exploring their backyards and the limits of their bodies in ways they wouldn't otherwise. I think a lot of times we gain inspiration from like cool videos that we see or like people climbing these ridiculous objectives and and it's easy to like set your goals on that sort of thing. Like, oh man, Alex Honnold free soloed El Cap. Like, maybe my goal is to go one day free climb El Cap. And that's awesome. But like that type of goal, I think it's like a lifetime achievement for a lot of people. So to come up with an arbitrary challenge of your own that's like much more achievable than some of these things that professional athletes are, you know, working their whole lives to do is in some ways more fun because it's achievable and the creativity that goes into making the challenge and then gaining inspiration from one another, I think, because, you know, once he finishes his challenge and oh, he's psyched to make one for me or and vice versa. Coming up with these kind of like creative goals that are like tailored perfectly to the individual. Yeah. Like, so you're kind of appreciating, like spending more time doing something that you would normally do and you're like, oh yeah, that's what we get to do in our backyard. But maybe you don't actually go do it that frequently. And instead it's like, okay, here's this thing you need to go learn and spend time and create memories around. Yeah. And I think the fact that we both take it so seriously makes it that much more fun. Like I'm likely never going to free climb El Cap, but like maybe one day I can like climb this V4 problem and like do it in under an hour car to car with all these ridiculous rules and then like have a video to share with my friends. And, and like, that's almost more fun than some goal that someone else has made that, yes, you can be inspired by, but it, these are kind of more personal, I guess. Many times throughout these adventures, maybe not in the midst of some of the lows, but immediately after the lows, I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, this exists because we're friends. That's pretty cool. Yeah, likewise, dude. It's, it's, uh, I'm excited to see, like, we're only at the beginning of these challenges, I think, so I'm excited to see what, what more fun times we have through them. Thank you, Mike and Scott, for sharing your story. These guys, they're still at it, even in quarantine, incredible. In Mike's most recent isolation challenge, Scott, he had to do 40 push-ups in two minutes, drink a beer hanging from a crack machine on a ceiling, and play a song on a musical instrument. Hey, did you know that Scott is a really good violin player? Like, what? No way. <laughs>
To see photos of their challenges, visit us on Instagram at dirtbag underscore diaries or head over to the website dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Cordelia Zars, Kai Engel, Publish the Quest, Bradley Carter, Little Glass Men, and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists or from Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars, Becca Cahal, and me, Fitz Cahal. You have been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.